All right, so don't blow it, guys. No pressure, but don't blow it, okay? So Mother's Day, take care of mom. Be here. We'll celebrate together. We'll help you take care of mom. Make her feel special. It's going to be a great day. Hey, we're going to give back to God in just a moment. If you're a guest, don't worry about that. Um, uh, these, uh, these are not trash cans. These are how we say thanks. I don't know. But anyway, um, so if you're a guest, don't worry about it. Uh, so um, how, how are you doing? You having a good week? Let's, let's rate it. Ten in fantastic. One, just don't even want to think about it. All right? So on the count of three, just tell me what it is. One, two, three. Yeah. Did somebody yell one? <laughs> I, have, I have never gotten a blow of five because nobody will admit it. Congratulations, sir. I mean, not that you've had a bad week, but that you admitted it. That's impressive because we only want to talk about the good ones, right? So here's the deal. Cody just did a series, and, and one of the taglines there was, um, was the juggle is real about how life is so, uh, uh, so busy and, and upheaval. And I want to kind of revert back to the original of that, which is the struggle is real, and acknowledge that we all have tough weeks and, and times in our life. I took a, my dad and I actually last fall took my grandkids fishing, and the first couple of casts didn't work out very well because when we brought it in, there was just moss on it. Why? Because it was bumping along the bottom, right? And the reason it was bumping along the bottom is because it was too heavy. And it was too heavy because there is this thing that weighs it down called a sinker. Have you ever had a week where you felt like something was just weighing you down? Every day you try to get up, get going, and just back down again. Some, something you're thinking about, something that's happening, whatever. So I'm going to talk about how when you're bumping along the bottom, to understand it in light of uh, Scripture and how to respond to that because we all have those times, and we all want out of those times, and yet those may be the most important times in our life is when life is not easy, and we feel like we're just kind of dragging the bottom, and so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about a passage found in Luke um, chapter 24, and uh, starting in, in verse 13. If you have a Bible, that's one of these, or if you have a Bible app, you can open it and look at it. Um, and uh, if not, I'm going to read it off the screen for you anyway. Uh, so uh, here's what's happened. The, uh, the cross, the death of Jesus, the burial, and the empty tomb. But what they don't know yet, they're two disciples, maybe a husband and wife actually. Um, they, they know all of that, but they don't know about the resurrection yet. And they're distraught, and they're upset, and they're confused, and they're devastated. And they're walking away from Jerusalem. And here's the incident. It begins in verse 13. It says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. As they were, as they were talking with each other about everything that had happened, uh, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So, I don't know if God kept them from, or, or they were looking down, or who knows why, uh, but they didn't recognize him. And it's probably a, more of a... Uh, God thing. Uh, in verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, because remember, they're really upset. Uh, one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? In verse 19, what things, Jesus asked, uh, about Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Now, here's an interesting thing. Uh, they begin to tell him what's happened. Now, the question that Jesus just asked, what things, is important. We'll come back to that in a moment, why he asked that. Uh, the chief priests and our, our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. 
And so they're just telling why, what, what's happening. And in verse 21, um, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Uh, then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Now, I'm going to just pause there for a minute. A couple of things. Um, there's a couple of, uh, of things that happen when you've been bumping along the bottom or you're having a really rotten, no good, very bad day. Uh, so one is that you lose perspective. Have you ever tried to help someone who was discouraged? And, and, and I'm not talking about clinical depression. There's all kinds of uh, chemical imbalances that can happen and so on. And we believe in therapy and, and, and getting help and all that kind of stuff. But I'm talking about just the stuff that we all experience, uh, discouragement, maybe verging on depression, that kind of thing. Have you ever tried to help somebody who is that way and you try to brighten their day and they're having none of it? Like you try to say good things and they're having none of it? Because one of the things that happen is once you've kind of been bumping along the bottom, you're, you lose perspective. And so that what could be good news is bad news. When you're really discouraged, there is no good news. It's all bad news because you're just not ready to hear anything else. Because remember that what's happening here is they're talking about an empty tomb that Jesus predicted. If they had thought about what Jesus said, they would realize that the empty tomb is not somebody robbing the tomb, which is what it seems like they're assuming here. The empty tomb is just one more piece of bad news to tear them down and knock them down, right? But in reality, it's great news. The empty tomb, as we know today, is great news. But when you are bummed, you can't hear good news for good news. Even good news sounds like bad news, right? Because you've lost perspective. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You've lost perspective, objectivity, right? So um, then it goes on. So in, in, in verse 25, um, uh, he said to them, how foolish you are. Now here's I just want to note that Jesus says how foolish you are. These people are bumming. Their life stinks. They're discouraged. And here's Jesus going, you're so foolish. It's like, well, thanks. That's helpful. Um, we'll talk about it in a moment. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. It goes on in verse 26. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And so he begins to teach them. Um, in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of Scripture about himself, or concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. It's an interesting thing that happens here, a very important thing that we need to remember in this next uh, passage here. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for he just called them foolish, and yet they're inviting him to stay with, with them. There's some key indicators there. Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they, were rec and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And then the last verse, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So here's an interesting thing. Here are these two people that are experiencing the lowest point of their life, and I think it's instructive to us about what Jesus did um, for them and what they did to receive that. And so I just want to give you some three thoughts I have. If you're kind of bumping along the bottom, uh, and, and, uh, and if you're not today, you may be sometime. So it starts in verse uh, 17. He asked them, 
By the way, a little hint, if you're ever trying to help somebody who is really discouraged, uh, begin by asking them questions. One of the reasons that Jesus did this is because we all know that when we're discouraged, we want to isolate, right? When we're depressed, we're discouraged, we want to isolate. We don't want to, we don't want to talk to anybody. We just kind of wallow in our stuff. And Jesus begins to draw them out by asking questions. And it's interesting because he's asking questions for more than one reason. So in verse 17, he says, what are you guys talking about? It's not that he didn't know what they were talking about. The reason he was there is he knew what they were talking about, okay? But he wanted them to begin to articulate what the issue was. And then in verse 19, uh, they said, don't you know these things that have happened? And he says, what things? Now, this is an interesting question as well because he already knows what things. He wants to know what they think the things are. They think the thing is that their hero has been killed, uh, their deliverer from under the Roman Empire has been killed, and somebody's stolen his body. That's what they think they are. He knows what the things are. He's about to tell them what the real things are. So here's the learning from this I want to suggest, is that before we can begin to move out of this place that we're in, this discouragement, um, we need to expose our true hurts and hearts and struggle. We need to expose that to God. Uh, we need to be vulnerable enough. So here's what's weird is these two, now remember during um, the, the leading up to the cross, Peter had denied Christ because he was afraid. Every ev evidence in the gospels is that at the cross or after the cross, almost all of his disciples dispersed and ran away because they were afraid. Yet here are two disciples walking along the road and a perfect stranger, and I meant that literally a perfect stranger, You'll get it later. You'll get it. Uh, a perfect stranger come up, and they immediately begin to talk. Now, that's a weird thing if you think about it. All the other disciples have run away or denied Christ or whatever. And yet they begin to talk about what has happened, fully identifying themselves with Jesus. They were willing to be vulnerable. One of the hardest things for us when we're struggling or discouraged is to admit it, especially guys. Guy, to share your feelings, we're not even sure what that word means, ladies, just so you know that, okay? Outside of anger, we're pretty uncomfortable with any of those other feeling things, okay? And so one of the first things that we realize is that they're willing to be vulnerable, and they just start telling them what the issue is, why they're so discouraged, and what they're struggling with. Now, a couple thoughts. One, I don't know about you, but maybe it's a guy thing, I don't know, but uh, my first instinct when something happens is to fix it. Something discourages me, something hurts me, I'm going to fix it. Sometimes I'm going to fix it in a good way, sometimes I want to fix it in a bad way. You know what I'm saying? So my first uh, instinct is, my second instinct is to fix it. My third instinct is to fix it. My fourth instinct is to fix it. My 2036th instinct is to pray. <laughs> right? So, so, so for 2035, I'm still trying to fix it. And when I finally have come to a place where I realize I can't fix it, then I'll pray. But by that time, it's become a deal. It's become a thing. You know what I'm saying? Not with anybody else, just inside of me. It's become a thing. All right? So one of the things we have to do is we have to come to God first. We need to learn to pray sooner. If nothing else, even if he doesn't fix it, he fixes us in it. And so before, so here's the deal. So well, I don't want to bother God with that one. I can handle it. You know that God, Jesus taught us that, that he knows, God knows the, the very number of hairs on your head. That's the, that's the level of, by the way, I said that last night and two bald guys over here started laughing. And I was like, I wasn't going to make a joke, but you just made it for me. So with you, it was easy. God's not that busy with you, but the rest of us, he's counting. So, um, so if he is concerned with that, 
level of detail in our lives, is there anything that we shouldn't bother him with? Like, is there any detail of our lives that's too, too minuscule? I've actually been known to pray that God would help me find my lost car keys. And I found them. I'm just saying. I think God wants to have this ongoing conversation with us about all of our lives. And yet we reserve prayer. For, I've heard people say, well, I don't ever pray for myself. I just pray for others. Well, then you're nuts. Why would you exclude Almighty God from helping you and changing your situation? Pray for them and pray for you too. It's okay. God cares about us. Pray sooner, earlier. Be vulnerable. That's the, the other part of it is, is being vulnerable and acknowledging what's really going on. So one of the challenges I, I mentioned you last week and I've told many times is, is that I have to start my prayers with this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And explore that a little bit every day because otherwise I'd say, with Lord, today I'm feeling and the most important thing in the world is not how I'm feeling on a given day. It's the most important thing in the world is who God is and how he's feeling toward me. And he's always loving and he's always caring and he's always kind and has good intentions. So once I establish who God is and what God's intentions are, then and by the way, you need to know that down the way, after I've, I've acknowledged who God is and, and his character and, and all the good gifts he's given me, then I get around to how I'm feeling. Because how I'm feeling is not unimportant, it's just not the most important thing. And by the way, once I get down to it, I'm probably feeling a little different. Right? I'm probably seeing things from a little different perspective. And so then I have to articulate to God, okay, I, I woke up this morning feeling this way, and I think it was because of this, and, and Lord, help me under, understand it for what it is. Am I just being selfish, or it, it, you know, is fear invading, or whatever the, the negative emotions I might be struggling with on a given day. And as I do that, something happens, because I've chosen to be vulnerable with God, and to begin to just say, this is the truth about where I'm at right now. By the way, one of the things that sometimes happens to me, the reason I'm in a bad mood is because I am offended by somebody. I know you guys don't get offended, but occasionally I do. And when I get offended, I handle it a really healthy way. I just uh, put it inside, and I don't tell anybody about it, and I just nurse it. I just kind of feed it, you know what I'm saying? And I kind of cycle over it, you know what I'm saying? Until I can really make it into something substantial, you know what I'm saying? Because it's not much fun being offended over something small, so you've got to make it big. And so I had the gift of growing um, uh, resentment in, in, in a pretty short period of time, frankly. And so sometimes I'm in a bad mood because of what somebody did to me. And I read the great, and I think it was J.I. Packer this week, I read the greatest quote about this. And I'm sure none of you struggle with that, but I do. So we're just going to read it for me, okay? So here's the quote. Set aside your prayerless resentment and open your heart to him. That, that is a great phrase, prayerless resentment. It's an oxymoron, by the way. No, it's not. It's redundant. It's redundant. That's what it is. And the reason it's redundant is because you can't have resentment and prayer. There's no such thing as a prayerful resentment. There's only prayerless resentment. And one of the biggest stumbling blocks in my mindset about the world and my attitude about the world is resentment. I love to have pity parties. I love to just stew in that thing and feel good about feeling bad. You know what I'm saying? It's just times you want to do that. The problem is every day comes that point where I need to sit down with God because that's a part of my deal. That's as is my custom. If you remember from last week, I sit down with God and I talk to God. And the problem when I begin to talk to God is I'm going to remember who God is and all that God has done for me. And all of a sudden, that resentment begins to kind of... Because if I were to even have the audacity to say to God, I am really, and I say this sometimes, I'm really ticked off at so-and-so. I'm just a 
offended. I am hurt, and I really resent that. And, and it's almost as if God says to me, and I don't hear an audible voice, but it's almost God says, I died on the cross. Now, what are you upset about again? I came to earth just for you. Now, what, what, how did they hurt you? And it's not that God doesn't care about my feelings. He cares about my perspective. Remember, that's what they lost, his perspective? Because what was good news, they heard is bad news. And so in prayer, as I come to God and I'm being vulnerable with what's going on, I begin to re- recover that perspective of God is God. God is good. He has sacrificed greatly for me. I probably can't really harbor this resentment, can I? You see, there's no such thing as a prayerful resentment. <laughs> there's only a prayerless resentment. And so one of the things that if that's the issue, and by the way, it works on other levels and other things as well, I can't really harbor fear and acknowledge God as Almighty God, can I? Because perfect love does what? It casts out fear, right? So whatever it is that I'm dealing with, it changes my perspective as I spend time with God, as I begin by being vulnerable with Him. Uh, So begin by exposing your true struggles to God. And then secondly, examine his promises. So what does, what does Jesus do? He's talking to them. By the way, by the way, that, that point I made earlier, they, they expose their hearts and they take a risk and they tell him what's going on. And he goes, you foolish. Said, Wait a minute. I just, how can you do that to me? You read the original language. He's not making fun of them. He's not, as you see later, they invite him to dinner. He's actually saying, oh, you guys, you poor guys, you're not understand. you don't understand. If, if you could just understand. So he begins. So what did he do when they're down? He points them back to Scripture, to his promises, both what he said and what the Old Testament predicted, okay? When you're trying to help somebody who's discouraged, point him back to promises, to God's Word, because of God's care. So here's what happens. As we read God's Word, realize a couple things. One, I'm not the only person that's ever experienced this. I, my, my brother's telling me about a good friend of his, an older guy, very, very successful, very, very smart, and very, very broken. And um, came to know Christ in midlife and then um, walked away and, and now has significant issues, health issues and so on. And is struggling with the fact that, that because he turns back on God at one point that God is punishing him. And as my brother was ministering to him, he found out that this gentleman has been reading and studying Job. Right? See, whatever you're going through, whatever kind of pain you're experiencing, you're not the only person that's ever been. Your, unique, your situation is unique in its circumstances, maybe, but not in the level and the kind of pain you're experiencing. And so we read Scripture, we do two things. We acknowledge and identify with those who have had pain like we have. And then secondly, we see that God can redeem that pain, even if it's self-inflicted we see that God has the power to redeem that pain. And so we begin to read his word and, and remember his promises. We don't read his word to kind of get brownie points with God. We read his word so that he can bring that back to us when we're bumping along the bottom to remind us of what's really important. So Jesus turns into scripture and from Moses all the way forward, he talks about what, had ha- what happened at the cross. So let me give you an example of the way that might work in our lives. Uh, so there's this passage in James is James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 4, I think. And so when you're bumping along bottom, here is a great passage to remember. Let's look at verse 2 right off the bat. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Well, that's just nuts. Right? What kind of person thinks it's a joyful thing to go through hard times in your life? 
But when you understand what's really happening, you get God's perspective on it, things change. Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So here's the deal. God is growing us. He is making us more like Jesus. He's preparing us for eternity with him, uh, and I believe to do um, kingdom work forever. And so in this passage, there are two important words there. The one is testing. It's not like you have pass-fail test or end-of-the-semester test. It is the kind of test that makes you um, more pure. So the, another illustration from Scripture that, that would illustrate this is gold. They, they pull gold out of the hills and the rocks, whatever. They put it in a crucible, really hot heat, and they melt the gold down. The, the gold is heavier. It goes to the bottom. Everything left at the top is junk, and they just skim it off. And it's called dross, and that's how they get pure gold. In Scripture, we're taught that God is trying to make us more pure, like gold. The illustration is gold. He's making us more pure, more like Jesus. Those bad attitude, attitudes you and I have, those tendencies to be offended way too easy, those other ambitions that are not God-like, or those appetites that are not making us like Jesus, those are all melted off when? In the good times? Nope. When life is hard. And so when you're going through a hard time, remember, God didn't cause it. You may have caused it. Some other circumstance may have caused it. But he will use it if you allow him to do that, to create perseverance. Perseverance is just the ability to stick around. But the picture here might be a blacksmith. You ever watch a blacksmith? I'm very intrigued. If we have a blacksmith in the church, let me know, because I'd like to come watch, because I think it's very interesting. And so what does a blacksmith do? They take a, a chunk of metal, they put it in, they get it red hot in the fire, they bring it in, they pound it a little while, and then what do they do? They put it back in the, in, in the fire again, because they got to keep it hot, and they got to keep it malleable, right? And so they put it in the fire, and, and they take it off. What happens if they don't put it back in there? If they don't get it to the exact right temperature, it gets brittle, it gets stiff, you can't work it anymore, it'll break too easily right? So one of the things I'm just going to give you as a word of encouragement, you're going to be in and out of the fire the rest of your life. If you are a Christian, you're going to be in and out of the fire. Don't be surprised. Don't be discouraged by it. You're going to be in and out of the fire. By the way, if you're not a Christian, you too are going to be in and out of the fire the rest of your life, but there's no meaning for you. It's only for those who are allowing God to shape them, make them malleable, to be more like Jesus, that you're going to persevere through the difficulties of life as he shapes you. And so the hard times are not a waste of time unless you make them a waste of time. If you allow God to have them, they become valuable time in shaping you and forming you. So let perseverance finish its work in verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, he's trying to grow you up in your faith, in your Christ-like character. And that's what tough times are about. And if we know Scripture, we understand that. The last thing is not only to expose your true struggles to God and let Him bring healing to that and be exposed to His promises so that you can remember what comes out of tough times. And then lastly, experience God's leading presence and keeping power. His leading, His presence, and His keeping power. And the most maybe powerful thing they say in this is, remember when they started to go and, and Jesus started to go on and they said, stay with us? I'll give you two things. One, invite Him to stay with you in your pain. He's there. Just know that he's there. Invite him into your pain. Invite him in to do that process of molding you and shaping you. And then they finally recognize who he is. And recognizing Jesus' presence in the middle of your pain is a powerful thing. Because he may not take the pain away. He may not make the circumstances easier. He may just empower you to withstand, to persevere so that he can shape you. He doesn't cause it, but he will use the pain in our lives.
So we had an interesting thing last week, at, and I'm going to ask Moy Navarro to come out. Uh, we had an interesting thing last week at our, uh, at our staff devotions. Moy was sharing a devotion about something he and his wife do in Life is Tough, and I just wanted him to share it with you today. So welcome, Moy. Hey. I was thinking uh, why Doyle asked me to speak. I think it's because it's Cinco de Mayo weekend. So uh, actually, which, which isn't a big thing for us Mexicans. Um, it was, a, it was a battle between the Mexican and the French, uh, and the Mexicans won, and it's just amazing, but it was, it was just a battle that was fought in the little town of Puebla in, in Mexico, and so it's the people of that town that celebrate it, and everybody else, it just doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Um, September 16th is our Independence Day, so maybe you could have me come back then, and I, I, can, I can speak again. No. <laughs> um, but for the rest of us, it's just a good time to to eat, right? We love to eat in Cinco de Mayo. Just a perfect excuse. Um, when we come to the Lord uh, as Christians, there's, there's two things that, that are vital and important to who we are as Christians, right? The first one is um, a spiritual calling. It's a spiritual calling into salvation. And that's one thing that we all as Christians have in common, right? And then the second one is a calling to vocation. That's, that's just what you do every day. You get up, and it can change uh, from time to time. You know, it, it can change throughout our lives. But it's, it's our calling uh, to vocation. And so some of us are, are, are doctors and uh, firefighters, policemen, lawyers. I, I don't think so. Um, no, I think God can use those too. But that's like the 9 o'clock service. That's where all the lawyers go to the 9 o'clock service. When I was in college, uh, I went to California Baptist University, and it was the year right before it turned from California Baptist University. It was a California Baptist college, uh, but they still, they, they let me in. I don't know why or how they let me in, but I got into college, and as I was walking the halls, uh, the very, very first week, I run into the most beautiful woman in the whole wide world, and instantly, man, I just knew it was love at first sight, and we got to know each other, and I declared my my, my love uh, for this beautiful woman, and she stopped me cold, and she says, okay, good, I know you, you like me, and I like you, but the next person, the next boy to kiss these lips has to put a ring on my finger, and I was like, wow, uh, that changed me completely, and, and so she's, she's not here this morning, uh, and she doesn't have the mic, and so she might have a different story, but I get to tell my story this morning, right? And so um, there, was this, there was this international service project that they were launching at Cal Baptist for the very, very first time. We were the guinea pigs. Um, we, got, we got to go and put this thing together. And there was going to be students from the university that were going to travel to uh, Russia, to um, South America, and China. And so there was these, these three countries that we, that we were going to go. And um, I signed up to go to South America. It was the city, uh, the country of Ecuador. And as soon as Laura Lynn found out that I signed up, she signed up. And she would tell you that it was different. But again, she's not here to, uh, to give her side of the story. And so uh, we sign up. And the whole semester, you know, we're, we're, we're just, we're hanging out. And they're preparing us to go on, on this missions trip. And we end up, we end up heading out there. And for the, for the first time, see, I'm a Spanish is my first language, right? I'm a Spanish speaker. And for the first time, I got, I got launched into something that I had never, ever done. See, I grew up a pastor's kid. I grew up going to church every day. Um, I grew up uh, knowing the Bible. I grew up even having made a decision and knowing who Jesus was. 
but I had never, ever, ever experienced what I was about to experience in Ecuador. So I got launched into translating messages. I got launched into having to like share the gospel. See, when, when, I, was, when I was at home um, on the phone back in the day before cell phones and stuff, you know, with the old school f- phones, um, if I was on the phone with a friend and they wanted to come to the Lord or make a decision, at that point I would say, okay, pause, stop. I would walk out of my room. I'd grab the long, long, long cord, walk over to my dad and be like, dad, that's your job. Like, you're the pastor, that's what you do. And, and um, as, as I'm in this country, and I find myself in experiences being able to share the love of God, and then watching, like, people's lives change, there was, there was some, some, some amazing things happening. And so, here we are in Ecuador, and there was this, this mission house, and it was kind of like headquarters, and, and we would hang out there for a day or two, and then we would shoot out to like the, the jungles of coca and we would shoot out to, to, the, to, to the beaches of Guayaquil and, and we would go out and we would go out for like six, seven days and we wouldn't be able to shower and we'd all stinky and disgusting. And, uh, and then we would come back and we would spend a day or two and at the mission house were these runaway kids. Um, and they would, they, would, they would cook and clean and they would hang out. And some of them uh, knew the Lord and some of them didn't. And so I had the opportunity to... to hang out with them, and then to tell them about Jesus, and a few of them made decisions to follow Christ, and, and that was just amazing, right, to be able to have the opportunity to do that, and I had never, ever stepped out to do that, and one night, we're hanging out in the living room, and, and we, we took out the guitars, and we were worshiping, and then we start to pray, and we start to pray, and everyone's praying, and it's just this amazing prayer moment, and in that moment, that day, I felt like the the power of the Holy Spirit just come down in that room. And uh, it, it's something that I will never, ever, ever, ever forget. That was, that was the moment when, when I knew. Like I just knew I had received that, that vocation, that call to vocation. That second piece of, of those two things that God calls us to. That second one, that, that was a powerful moment for me. And I remember just, just hearing uh, the word of God promise me what he was going to do in my life, what he was calling me to. It was such a powerful, powerful moment. And I remember just surrendering. And, and I wasn't surrendering to something new that I was hearing. I, I was surrendering to things that I had heard my whole life. I was surrendering to ideas and thoughts that God had placed in my heart for a long time. I just had never, ever surrendered to it. And I knew that day that, that my heart belonged to Jesus and that if, if he wanted me to go out and wash windows for him, that I would wash windows for him. And if he wanted me to sweep the floors, I would sweep the floors. And that, that if he wanted me to go back to Ecuador and live in the jungles of coca and, and live in a grass hut and like eat bugs or whatever it is that missionaries do, that that's what I would do. And so, remember the girl? She was on the mission trip, too, and God had already been working in our hearts, and, and our relationship had been growing, and we had been getting closer, and, and we still, I, we still I, did, I did not kiss her. When I kissed her, that was my promise to marry her, and, and we had not gone there yet, and we made that choice, and so all we would do is sit next to each other, and we would hold hands, and oh, man, that's magical. When you've decided not to go that path, and you're holding hands, that, that can be really special, and, and I remember sitting down a couple days later, and just sharing with her what God had done. And um, 
and sharing with her that I, I wasn't going to aspire to be a millionaire, that I wasn't going to aspire to, to, to gather things in life, but that I really knew that God had called me to just do ministry and that it might be us going back to, to the jungles of coca and that if she had a different plan or something else that she wanted to do in life and things were more important, that maybe she should make a choice to, to spend the rest of her life with someone else. And, uh, and she said, nope, I'm in. And, and that was awesome. We ended up uh, coming back, and I, I, I kissed her proposing, and, and then we got married, and it was awesome. And, and she liked pizza, and I liked pizza, pizza, and it was love at first sight, and we had so much in common, like pizza. And... Um, and then we realized that, that uh, we were just as human as everyone else. And even though that both of us had come from great, great, great families, and we have just this amazing lineage that at the end of the day, everyone wakes up, has to get up every day, and you have to make a choice to follow Christ, to remember the promises that Jesus has given you, what you've signed up for. And so we have this phrase, and I wish it was a much cooler phrase than it is. And, and maybe if you want to use a phrase, you can, or maybe you can come up with your own phrase. But um, in times when life gets tough and, and our, in our marriage and ministry and what we do in our jobs and we want to give up, we, we always kind of just look at each other and we say, hey, we could be in the jungle. And... and um. That day, I really had no idea what I was signing up for. I really, truly thought that God was calling us to go to the jungle. And little did I know that God was actually calling us to, to go to the jungle of SCG, right? The SCG jungle. And uh, ministry's hard. It's tough. And, and, and marriage is hard. And I love my wife to death, but there's some days where she can't stand me. She doesn't want to talk to me, and there's some days when I don't want to talk to her, you know, and, and, and ministry is the same way. There's sometimes you guys want to give up on me, right? And then some days I want to give up on you, but we don't, and we remember. We remember what we signed up for, and, and, and we grab onto that, to that anchor, and that was 19 years ago, and it's been just amazing to see God move. And it's not easy, but we can always look at each other and just, just remember what God has called us to, that we signed up, what we signed up for. You know, for, for a lot of us right now, God's speaking. As I'm sharing this silly story, God's, God's speaking to you, and he's reminding you of the promises that he has given you. <laughs> like I said, those two things, they're inseparable. That, that, that beautiful spiritual call to salvation comes with the next step of surrender to what it is that God is calling us to do. And yes, while it might be different for each and every one of us, <laughs> we can't hide from it. And so this morning, um, as I pray for you guys, um, and, we, and we dive into one last song uh, that, that speaks of that, I, I just, I just, my prayer is that, is that you, the God who makes the whole earth spin and float is in this room. And his spirit is speaking. And all we have to do is open our hearts and surrender. Surrender to what it is that he has. Believe the promises that he has given us. Thank you guys so much for letting me share. Let me, uh, 
Let me pray for you guys. Father, we, we love you. We love you. We thank you so much. Thank you for the power of, of testimony and story. Thank you because you move in, in, in such tremendous ways. Thank you for your grace, for your love, and this, this, this moment right here. Father, I pray that it would, be, uh, it would be a powerful moment for those who decide to step, take a step forward and surrender. Surrender to your call on them. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. And while it might be a reminder to someone that, 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 that surrendered long ago and yet has, has, has lost it, has forgotten the promises that you've given them, then may this morning be a reminder, may this story be a reminder of what it is that you have, have set aside for them. And if it's new, then the same, Father, that you would work as we, as we sing to you, as we worship you here this morning. We love you, Father. We thank you. And all of God's people said...